Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. All right, this morning I want to do... I, I, I want to finish a message that I started in October. I had not planned on doing it. Um, it's called Last Days, The Conclusion. Okay, so um, this message about the end time will prepare your heart for the joys of Christmas. Get you ready, uh, you know, uh, for the Christmas season. So everyone at some point in their life wonders... Like, how does civilization end? What's the, what, what's, what does that look like? Is it global warming, climate change? Is it a natural disaster? Is it war? How, does, how do we end up? The Bible talks about the end of time and the last days, but it has a different twist on future events and the ending. So today I'm going to conclude a message I started in October. Again, I thought I was one and done there. And um, let me just say, like, after that message, there were so many people that had questions about other things that I felt like I just need to kind of address this kind of bigger picture, which is what I'm going to to do this morning. So Bible prophecy and future events is not a fantasy or a fairy tale. It is God giving us a little insight, a little glimpse uh, into the the last events of the earth so that we can prepare our hearts and our lives for the return of Jesus. So I don't think that we are walking away from what the Bible says about the end times. I think we are walking right into the biblical narrative of the end times. I don't look at it and go, man, there's no way that we could match the Bible with what's happening on the news. I see, I see the march toward what the Bible says about the last days very, very clearly. And no one in the world really thinks that the world is becoming more peaceful and more hopeful and, and more joyful. We see this spiraling of evil and everyone knows that this cannot last, it cannot, it cannot be sustained. And there are a lot of people that look at the world understandably with anxiety and fear and go, what, what is going on in the world? So the, the subject of biblical prophecy and future events is a little confusing. I mean, I understand that, especially if you are new to a new believer. Maybe you're 35 years in age and under, and you were never really raised in church. These may be very new concepts to you. But you may look at the world and go, man, this is a screwed-up world. What is going on? I tell that to my children all the time. I go, I am so sorry for the world that we are handing off to your, you know, to your generation. So you may look 
and go, what's going on in the world? I'm telling you, these are not abstract events, but we believe they are tied together through the Scripture for, for how Jesus says, this time as we know it will come to the end. So why is it so difficult to understand biblical prophecy and future events? Just a couple of things. Future events or biblical prophecy, when we talk about it, they're not confined to one book of the Bible. It's not like, like, like you go to the books or the, you know, a bookstore and pick out a book on a specific topic. So it's not like you go to the book of prophecy and end times and you read it. <clears throat> you see part of the puzzle of prophecy in Daniel and Isaiah and the Gospels and the writings of Paul and Peter and, of course, the book of Revelation, which I have been reading in my devotion uh, for the last couple of weeks. So, so sometimes it's confusing because it's not confined to one book. Uh, future events in Scripture are not written in chronological order. That would have been much easier as well. So it's, it is like a puzzle. So that you got you got to read and you got to kind of figure it out. So it's not A to Z. Here are the events and how they inter interrelate to each other. But man, there's a, a scene here and a piece of the puzzle here, 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 and uh, you you do your best to try to put it together. And then also many future events are revealed in dreams and visions, which require some kind of interpretation or understanding of, of what that dream and vision is. So that, that, that's why you read some of these things, and, and it doesn't have the clarity that we would like, but that's just what it is. So some people, when you talk about prophecy or end-time events, they are very intrigued by it, which was the number of questions that I had. What about this? What about this? How, what do you think about this? Or other people who are just scared by it. When they think, when they think about it, they don't want to talk about it. You're uncomfortable hearing this this morning. But I want to just remind you this morning that we should never be afraid because God is in control. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, so he scripted out, you know, the very end of this. And let me just say, if something unusual is going to happen, I want to know about it. I don't want to be surprised. That's just the way I process this. So, I just want to remind you what Jesus said about the end times. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. I've gone away to prepare a mansion for you. And if I go away, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So he reminds us, don't be fearful. God is in control. Would you repeat that with me? God is in control. So 2 Peter 3.3 uses the phrase that I have in my title. Again, I want to say uh, you need to go back and watch the message on October the 15th, and I'm trying to connect them as well, the, the two messages. So 2 Peter 3.3, 3. above all, you must understand that in the last days, <clears throat> scoffers will come scoffing, following their own evil desires. They will say, where is the coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on uh, since the beginning of creation. 2 Timothy 3.1, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says that in the last days, 
Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. So on multiple occasions, the Bible uses this term, last days. So what does that term really mean? It gives us an understanding that time and society as we know it right now does not go on forever, but there is a point that, that what we know about this world ends. But before it ends, there are unusual things that happen. Last days, the term is plural, also indicates that there must be a last day, a final day. So that's where we're at. So I want to just mention this morning, all right, because I'm going to walk you through a lot of this very quickly. If you think you had questions on October 15th, you're going to have more, all right? Now, let me just say, I cannot cover every part of that this morning because some of you want to get out of here by noon. You know what I'm talking about, all right? So I'm going to skip intentionally over some things. If you want to ask me about those and how they interrelate, I'll be happy to give you my best thought on that as well. I'm also going to give you plenty of scripture references. I can't read every passage, but I'm going to reference them, and you're going to have a lot of homework, okay? If you've got your bulletin, on the back of that is the scripture references. They're going to have some of those on the screen, but the best Scripture, I mean, the best thing I can do is our Version app. I put every version, and it's live today, it's on our Version app. I put every verse for you to go look up and read and do some homework for yourself. It's just not possible for me to do all of that this morning. So, let's start. Let's start. Let's kind of go back to October 15th, and I'm going to do it really quick. What is the next part of biblical prophecy, future events that should, that should take place? And that is the return of Jesus to this earth, okay? That will be the biggest event in the history of the world would be the return of Jesus. Now, I went through this theologically and practically on October the 15th. I'm going to fly through that entire message in like three minutes, okay? So, I just want you to know that not everyone that lives will see a natural death. But there is a generation that will see the return of Jesus. There is a generation that will experience the translation into his presence physically and spiritually. So, really quick, what does the world look like before Jesus returns? Jesus says a lot about it. In Matthew 24, it gives us lots of clues and hints, and I'm just going to give you the quick bullet points. Increased anti-Semitism and focus on rebuilding of the Jewish temple. Spiritual deception and confusion. You're going to have to read this yourself. War and threats of war. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He also said there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. He also said in Matthew 24, persecution, intimidation, and the death of Christians. He said a cold, drifting, loveless church and nation will be a sign. He also said the publication of the gospel, access to the gospel, and fruitful missionary and church planning worldwide will mark, you know, will will uh, mark his return. He also says, Acts 2, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. In the last days, there's going to be a lot of 
tough things going on. But one thing's going to happen. In the last days, Acts 2.17, I'm going to pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters. They're going to prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So while there is chaos in the world, God is going to pour his spirit out for a final end time harvest. Okay? So that's kind of what it looks like before and, and after the return of Jesus. What does that day look like? Again, just give me another moment here. 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. And the voice of the archangel with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So will we ever be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 1 Corinthians 15. He said, listen, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep or die. But we will all be changed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Okay? So what does that day look like? Now, in October 15th, I spent a good amount of time on what that day looks like. I just want to hit those high points this morning. So Christ will return visibly, every eye will see, with a loud command and shout. The scripture says there will be a voice from the angel that will come like a lieutenant, you know, seconding a command. There will be a trumpet blast that will occur like a military call to attention. And then it says believers who were dead, uh, believers in Christ who are dead will rise from their graves. And I talked about that day of resurrection. So if you've got friends, family, those that are in the presence of God, their day of resurrection, you know, is, uh, I think it can be coming soon. I'll just say that. Then the last part, we Believers who are alive and well will rise up in the clouds to meet Christ. So when all this happens, before you have a moment for a conscious thought, your body will be instantly translated. You will go from physical and mortal to immortal and spiritual in just a moment. You won't even have a chance to process what is going on. And you won't be alone in this experience because all around the world, Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every different skin color, every different language, for everyone that's called upon the name of the Lord, at that moment they will experience that translation and they'll be caught up together to be with Jesus in the air. Amen. Amen. Let me just say, if I can choose the way I die, that's the way I want to go. I'm a coward for the the other ways, so. All right, so after that happens, after this great event happens, what does the world look like after this event? Okay, what does it look like? So let's just say, let's just say there's a billion people that are missing. What, what happens in the world? Now, when the return of Jesus happens, it sets off an unusual sequence of events. Okay, all right. Like Jesus said in Matthew 24, one will be at the mill 
and one will be taken. Well, if you're the one standing there, you're still there, what are you thinking? What, what are, what, how are you processing this? So I want to go, <clears throat> if there are a billion, I don't know the number, let's just say there's a billion or more people missing, what happens to the world? I mean, just they're just gone. What happens in the immediate aftermath of the return of Jesus? Well, I think terror and fear, okay? Terror and fear. Most people, a lot of people will know those that are missing, and they're gone. If you were alive during 9-11, when that happened, if you remember the week aftermath, man, this nation was gripped with fear and grief, anxiety and fear. And if you think that was bad, this will be much worse, fear, anxiety. If you remember, there was run on gas, run on food. People were grieving. People going, what is happening, trying to process what, is, what just happened? It will be on social media. It will be on the news. 24-hour, this world will be gripped with terror and fear. There will also come political uncertainty as leaders of nations try to figure out and wrestle with what has happened, okay? Martial law, possibly shelter at home. We probably haven't heard the end of that. Missing politicians and uh, military leaders as governments try to sort through what has happened and what is our next step forward. The potential of imminent war. What is happening around the world? The governments will be on edge. Is someone, what, what's happening? Is someone taking advantage of this? Martial law, all, you know, military, you know, armies that, uh, heightened, heightened in, their, in their alertness, economic distress, almost, you know, like probably, you know, like, like gas, food, stock market, like it's just an economic calamity. You know, even after 9-11, they shut the stock market down while they're trying to process this thing. It will be economic distress around the world. <clears throat> also, right after, what does the world look like right after the return of Jesus? The Christian church and its influence is absent. The praying church is gone. The serving humanitarian church that's always served during disasters is gone. The gospel-preaching church is gone. People with a church background are experiencing unusual anxiety and fear because they've heard the message of the gospel and they are thinking, did I wait too late? So the church and its influence in the world is gone and its absence. And in this time as well, this will start what the Bible refers to as the tribulation. Okay, so it, it happens that quick. The world's going to be looking in this chaotic, you know, kind of chaotic situation. And, and then we'll start what the Bible refers to as the tribulation. Now, I said the coming of Jesus will set off an unusual set of events. Okay, now, now follow me. Listen to me. The Bible on multiple occasions by different authors in different periods, time periods, refer to a seven-year span of time. It is either referred to by the word weeks, months, or by three and a half years. But it is unmistakable that there is a seven-year time frame that unusual things happen. 
This time frame is mentioned, and you can look on your notes, Daniel, Matthew, Luke, Revelation, you know, multiple places it talks about this seven years, but it might refer to it by weeks, by months, by three and a half, you know, the, the three and a half years, but make no mistake about it, it's talking about seven years. This is the start of a seven-year period of judgment on Israel and the unbelieving world, okay? Listen to me. God has been patient. We have lived under generations of grace and mercy. God's goodness to us with his love and his forgiveness and opportunities for repentance have been plentiful. But there comes a time that God says, no more. This seven years is now about justice and judgment for the wickedness, evil, violence, and godlessness on the earth. Okay? God's been merciful. We live in a time of grace right now. Everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But there is a moment that the Lord says, I've had it. It is now time for justice, and it is now time for judgment. Jesus says this about that seven years in Matthew 24. <clears throat> he says, for then there will be great distress. Look at the words of Jesus. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, never to be equaled again. That's a powerful statement. Jesus said, look at all the suffering that you've ever seen before, all right? And what's going to happen during that seven years, it's going to be unparalleled. And if you've ever read through, you know, some of the prophetic writings, you will understand that. So, what happens within that seven years? What happens within that seven years? Now, I'm not covering everything I'm just hitting some of the big things to give you an idea of kind of what happens in that seven years. The first thing, the rise of a new world leader, okay, almost, almost immediately. And you can look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 11, okay. You read all about this, Daniel or some other, other places. So remember, the chaotic world that comes after the return of Jesus. Politically, economically, the world is at, you know, an imminent, imminent war. And the Bible says that there is a, a, a world leader that is going to emerge. All right? What do we know about this new world leader? Who is he? And is he alive now? I figured you would ask me that last question. Okay? Now, I don't know the answer to the last question, but it wouldn't surprise me as I look at the, the events of the world, okay? It would not surprise me, but I don't know. So what do we know about this new world leader? Is he alive now? Now listen, Second Thessalonians says, listen to me, that we will not know who this new leader is until the church has been removed from the earth, Okay? All right, you can, you can read that in the passage. So once the church has been removed, then somehow, some way, probably out of the chaos 
the chaotic world that happens. People are looking for answers. They are looking for someone with confidence. They are looking with some, you know, looking for someone that's got some answers. So, and I want to remind you too, during this time, the restraining influence of the praying, spirit-filled, gospel-preaching church is gone. We pray regularly here on Wednesday night. Other churches do. For revival and awakening that God would pour His Spirit out. Those prayers that we don't always see the answer to, but they sustain the world and they push the hand of God and they roll back the tides of darkness. We don't always see it when we pray that on Wednesday night. But that influence is gone. That influence is gone. So what do we know about this new world leader? Second Thessalonians gives us, gives us several, several clues. Revelations 13 as well. So he will have miraculous power. All right. It says his power will come from Satan. There will be all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. They'll be so real that they will deceive even the most discerning of people. Okay. Jesus said in Matthew 24... Keep an eye on those that do signs and wonders, okay? So we are living in a time now where every miracle, sign, and wonder, if someone does immediately give praise to Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus for that miracle, you need to, you need to watch that. But that's what's going to happen. Miracles, signs, and wonders. He's coming. He's going to do some unbelievable things. He is spiritual, but he's also blasphemous as well. Daniel 7, 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. So his miracles will be religious in nature. Some of his miracles will be done to show, you know, and, and with spiritual power to give credibility to his religious or spiritual teachings. We'll talk about that. Because people will see these miracles and then they'll want to hear what he has to say, okay? And he will start, you know, it just, uh, Daniel says he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped. Pluralism, accepting any path to, you know, path to heaven, questioning the exclusive, exclusive, exclusivity of Christ. He might even attach himself and be a part of some kind of church, which will be a little more difficult for discern, to discern for people that don't know. He will persecute the Jewish people and followers of Jesus, Daniel 7, Matthew 24. That spirit is already here, okay? I want to say... <clears throat> When I did the, the message in October, I talked about anti-Semitism. I talked about this hate of Jewish people. I made a distinction between having a clear concern about the, the Palestinians and the, the government's kind of how it's set up. That is, a, that is a, 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 a logical debate if you want to have that, okay? But just hating Jewish people because they're Jewish I think it's supernatural, it is illogical, and it's part of end-time spiritual warfare. I want to say, too, even after I, I said that, I have been surprised at the amount of blatant anti-Semitism that I have seen from our own country, okay? Just hating Jewish people, wanting to, you know, to get rid of them. So I want to tell you, that spirit's already here, okay? That spirit of, and it's not... Not if you have a 
disagreement with the, the government structures over in the Middle East today, but just blatant anti-Semitism hating Jewish people. I've been so surprised from our elite academic institutions, our most prominent media outlets and newspapers, and the number of people. I'm just surprised to see that footprint in the United States because we're tolerant about everything. Even sometimes that I'm going, we're way too tolerant. But when it comes to that, I mean, we're, we, we've got an issue there. So that, that spirit is already here, but you will see that magnified during that during that several year, seven years, it says he will oppress his holy people. He'll hate and he'll he'll hate Israel. Okay, he will also introduce a peace agreement with Israel. We know that's from the scripture, and the world and the world that allows the rebuilding of the temple of Solomon that he will soon desecrate. Daniel nine, Matthew twenty four. Out of this chaos, this wise leader comes up with a plan of the Middle East that the most brilliant minds in the world have not been able to find an answer. I've just racked my head before, like, what, what could we do? I asked someone, hey, here's my, I said, here's my peace plan. He went, it'd never work. It'd never work. But somehow, this guy, out of the chaos of what's going on, he's going to find peace in the Middle East. They're even going to allow some form of temple worship that the Jews haven't had in years to, to reoccur in a, in, a, in a temple of Solomon in some form that he will soon, that he'll soon desecrate. So his, his political skills will be unmatched, okay? What else do we know in this seven years? He will have economic power and control. Look at Revelation 13. This is the one I'm going to read. He forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on his right hand and on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark and the name of the beast or the number of his name. So first of all, this passage is technology dependent. This passage could not have happened at the time that it was written. This passage could only occur in, in a time and with the technology that we have today. Also, if you look at that pass, passage as well, the key word in that is forced. This is not a volunteer system. This is a forced economic system that everyone is part of. Okay, Rich, free, great. It only works if everyone participates. On the surface, it sounds like a great idea because this could stop tax evasion, money laundering, robbery, counterfeiting. Uh, man, you could have your health records. You could stop child thefts. I mean, there's all kinds of technological benefits to this. But the key is, and I, I, and I don't want you to get lost on, is it a mark, a head, a hand? I want you to focus on this is a centralized monetary system in which buying and selling is controlled by one national entity, okay? Now, I feel that way every time I try to use my capital city debit card, okay? They shut me down all the time, and I'm just left there hungry with no gas, no clothes, nothing, okay? But I want to tell you, there's a day coming, all right, that, that the buying and selling is controlled by a natural, a, 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 a national entity. Real quick, 
He's a man of war and conquest, okay? Revelation 6, okay? He's given power to take peace from the earth. One-fourth of the people in Revelation say die because of his thirst for bloodshed, all right? So that's kind of the, that's kind of that man, okay? What else happens during the seven years of tribulation? There's a worldwide economic collapse, okay? Listen, there's certain things that we can learn from prophecy, but we see this happening in the seeds of that today. You know, Revelation 6, if you'll look at that, hyperinflation. Okay, if you think it's bad now, things are about to go four or five times what they are now. People will not, there's no way that you can sustain. It's in, and, and, and let me tell you, it's just a, it's, it's a collapse. Uh, it's inflation that will happen, hyperinflation currency devaluation all of it all of it happens when this you know when this uh, the, the economic collapse hoarding hiding protection physical protection from those that don't have anything they're just trying to find food protection from intruders and I want to tell you and I just want to say this I had it on my notes last time and I just ran out of time this country's 33 trillion dollars in debt okay we have an annual deficit of $1 trillion. Nobody says a word about it. We went through a presidential election four years ago. We are seeing candidates today. Nobody mentions it. Nobody mentions this because this is a dire situation. Last month, they downgraded the credit of the United States of America, and they said because high debt and there's no plan to either raise money or cut spending. So I want to tell you, okay, I mean, we are already, we are already tipping. It wouldn't take much to push us over. And what scares me, too, is that nobody talks about it. There's no questions to candidates. What would you do to get us to a balanced budget? How can we pay down what we, nobody says a thing. Nobody, that's, that scares me. And I want to say, I think it's going to be in this chaos, it's going to be the currency devaluation, the hyperinflation, when, when you're, you've got to have a million dollars to buy, you know, uh, to buy milk, kind of like in Venezuela. That's probably what's going to cause that passage that I just read to you, okay? It's going to be that economic collapse, and that's going to be the answer to kind of get everybody on the same page. What else happens during the seven years? Preaching of the gospel during the tribulation. Now, one of the questions that I got in October, will, be, will people be saved during the tribulation, during the seven years? And I say yes. I, I think so. I, I, I think there's great scriptural evidence on that. And I want to say, listen to me, this is about the character of the Lord. Even in the midst of his judgment, his hand of mercy is still extended. Okay? He's still like the thief on the cross. If there's a moment that I can get one more in, I'll do it. If there's one other voice that will call on the name of Jesus, then I, I want to hear it. So even in the midst of this chaos, now remember, the church is gone. People will pull up here on Sunday and there's nothing happened, and you'll weep in the parking lot. Okay, you'll go and try to find our videos online, and they'll be, they'll be gone. No, they'll be gone. All right. The Bible says, Revelation seven, that for a short period of time, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish people that are going to come to know Christ. They are going to have the fire of God, and they are going to preach the gospel to the Jews, and and to others around the world. They won't be here long. 
But there's going to be that message of salvation and that message of hope. And there's other ways, too, that I just don't have time. I don't have time to get to. But I just think there's one more time that God honors his covenant of Abraham to the Jewish people. I think just one more time in the midst of justice and judgment, God gives one more chance for the message of salvation to be out there for those that those want to call upon the name of the Lord. And then at the very end of the seven years, it's the invasion of Israel in World War III, known as Armageddon, okay? And I want to read you some of those passages. You know, like one, one question I had in October was, what, where, where is this nation of Israel? You know, like this little dot, you know, that disappeared for 3,000 years. Then all of a sudden, it, re, it reemerges. And now the Bible says this little, this little speck of land is going to be central at the very end, that the armies of the world are going to gather over this little piece of land. Okay? So I want to just read you in Zechariah. On that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves, and that is an underestimation of that term. Let me say that. Luke, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Revelation 16, they gathered all the kings together to the place that in the Hebrew is called Armageddon. I got a little picture I want to show up here. We were there last year. They'll put it on the front screens for me, please. There you go. When we had our team over there, we were up on Mount Carmel, and that's the Valley of Megiddo, the Valley of Jezreel. That's where the Bible specifically says that there's going to be, that this battle is going to be fought. It is flat land, and you know, so I, I just, while we were Focused on Mount Carmel, I snapped that, that picture just going, wow, this is going to be the, the place that the, the final war is going to be thought, fought. So the Bible tells us, listen to this, not only will there be an invasion of Israel, but the Bible also gives us clues to the countries that will lead in this attack against Israel. Okay? These are nations that right now are known for their opposition to Israel. Okay? It gives us clues, all right? <clears throat> So one clue, it says that there's an army of 200 million coming from the east to fight in this war, okay? There's, now let me just say, when that was written, there wasn't 200 million people on the earth, okay? Much less a, a prophecy of a day that there would be an army that would come, army to the east of Israel that would come, there's only one nation that has an army that size, and that'd be China, okay? All right? Ezekiel based his prophecy of chapter 38 and 39, listen to me, on the geographic location, you know, of the countries at the time that he wrote it and where certain tribes lived at the time of the writing. So Ezekiel did a prophecy, and he named certain tribes, and he named certain geographic locations. I'm going to give you the modern-day names of these. Now, you go look at Ezekiel 38 and 39. You go, you go look at it. I'm going to give you the modern-day names of these countries that Ezekiel mentioned 1,800 years ago that he identified a geographic location or tribes that were living there at the time. That'd be Russia, 
Turkey, Iran, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Libya. All right? These are countries that right now are known not to be friends of Israel. I think that's amazing. We're not talking about Canada, New Zealand. You you would read something like that and go, there's no way. No. Great specificity when it when it says these are some of the nations that come at the end. So, these armies are gathered. They're surrounding Israel. Little Israel that has fought its way, they are overmatched. This little nation that's been around since the beginning of time, people believe, has seen its final day. Those armies get into position. They are ready for the final annihilation and extermination not only of Israel, but the Jewish people, okay? And in that moment, something happens, okay? Right before the first shot is fired, okay? Revelation 19 kicks in, and I want to read that to you this morning, okay? He said, now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon him was called faithful and true, And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he would strike the nations. And he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he who has on his robe and his and a thigh a name written that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He appears with those armies. Jesus returns as the mighty king at the, at the last moment to, to, to destroy those armies that are coming against Israel. Why? Why? He, he protects Israel again from the destroying, invading armies. He gives a chance one more time for any Jewish people, and they think at this moment that there will be a wholesale repentance and, and people will come to the Lord Jesus at that, at that moment. And it's not just a political battle. Let me remind you, this is not just the armies of the earth, but these are demonically inspired nations. And at this moment, the Antichrist, the new world leader, Satan will be captured, cast into the lake of fire. The scripture says, only with the power of his word, without a shot being fired. Worship team, you guys can come. Well, do you have a lot more questions? One other event. I'm not sure how close it will be tied to this seven years. But there's one more event in the future you know, that happens that I want to be very clear to every person. You know, it's the final judgment. It's the final judgment. Every person stands before God to give an account for your life. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. It's not your imagination. It's not the movies, 
everyone, all right? I want to read you these, these passages so that you can see. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us, things done while in the body, good or bad. Revelation 20. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done. Um, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The scriptures teach a final judgment for all people. Unbelievers will be judged for their sins will be given over to eternal punishment. Believers will be judged for their works and how they were obedient to Christ. Okay? So I want to tell you to everyone, there's a day that there's no more excuses. There's a day that there's no second chances. There's a day that you can't point to someone else as your reason to not be right with God. There's a day when there's no more appeal. There's a day that he doesn't even ask you a question again. There's a day that you stand and you give an account before God of your spiritual life here on earth, whether you accepted Jesus as your Savior. And when the judgment's rendered... There's no appeal. No second chance. Hey, can I do some benevolent acts and good deeds? That was your problem to start with. You thought that's what, what it was all about, and it's not. This moment, this moment is about one thing. About you believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was raised from the dead for you. And that you've asked him to come into your heart, forgive your sins, and that you want to live for him forever. That's what this whole thing is about. It's very easy and very simple because we are living right now in, the, in, in, a, in a season, a generation of grace, of multiple opportunities. But that day, there's a day that, that won't happen again. There's a day that, that won't happen again. There'll be a day that some of you will watch what goes on the news. Oh, my God. You will text. You will call. This church, there'll be no answer. You'll drive over here, bang on the door, and beg for somebody to open it. And to live with that knowledge of all the opportunities of grace that you've had. And you just kept passing it on. I'll do it later. It's not my thing right now. I'll get more serious about God later. That's going to be a heavy, heavy thing to live with because we are living, we are living in grace right now. We're living in grace. Multiple opportunities. Now, I hear people go, well, man, if I knew it during that seven years, man, that, that's when I'd really stiffen up and live for God. <laughs> Have you ever read Revelation? I skipped over the bad parts this morning. Okay? 
<laughs> it's not original with me. But if you can't live it right now in the presence of the church, people that love you, pray for you. I'm not saying you wouldn't. just going to say it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I want to say to the church, we need to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. I do not think in any way that we are walking away from biblical prophecy. I think we are marching ourselves very specifically. Some of this stuff I said this morning, it's very conceptual. You know, it's a, it's a conceptual possibility that could happen. And you're, the technology, the countries, the, the immorality that you see, we're not walking away from this. We are walking into this. This just needs to be a reminder to the church that we don't need to, to, to be silent and we, we don't need to fall asleep. There were ten virgins that were ready for the wedding. They knew it was a coming. They knew it was coming. Only five were ready when the groom came. Only five were ready. Five missed it. Five missed it. I want to say to the church, our wedding, our wedding date with our bride is coming. This is not a time to be sleeping around on the groom right on the brink of the, the wedding. It's not. Be holy, righteous, looking for his appearing. Okay? All right? All right? Would you stand with me this morning? I know it probably wasn't the Christmas message that you invited your visitors to hear this morning. I'm sorry if it was a little heavy. But we live in a heavy world, you know. Listen, we don't know, let the, the joys of the Christmas season kind of make us blind to what's going on in the world, okay? You may have your Christmas tree up and planting things, but the march toward biblical prophecy in last days continues in December just like that. Just continued. So can we just take a moment? Can we just give praise to God across this building? He's getting ready. He's getting ready. He's getting ready. Can we praise Him? Can we get our hearts ready this morning? Can we get our hearts ready this morning? Oh, God, we worship you this morning. We worship you this morning. We worship you this morning, Lord. We worship you this morning. Lord, we see and sense your coming, Lord. In Revelation, it said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. Lord, let us, let us have our ears open, our eyes open. Lord, knowing, God, that we're, we could be entering very soon an unusual phase of prophecy. We praise you this morning. 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 Every head bow, every eye closed. Now listen to me. If you're away from God, not sure where your heart is, I promise my motive is not fear. To scare you. My motive this morning is to tell you the truth. To tell you the truth so that you can make your own choices about faith, walking with God. Some of you, and you've put this decision off. you played around with it. 
And that's your choice. That's your choice. But I'm just going, there's a day, there's no more options. There's no more choices. There's no more services. If you're here today, if you're here today, and you'd go, Pastor, hey, I'm, I'm just not sure where I am with God. I'm not where I, sh- I should be. I'm just going to ask you to pray for me this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just people being very honest and transparent before God this morning. Really quick, would you just raise your hand up and down and just say, hey, would you pray for me this morning? I'm just not really where I, I should be this morning. I'm just, hey, I, I see that. I see that. I see that. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you, there were days... I used to hear this message, and it scared me because I wasn't where I should be. Now there's a day that I hear this message, and as a pastor, I got work to do. I, I, I got work to do. I got work to do. The worship team's going to sing in just a moment. If you're here today, maybe you're away from the Lord, not really sure you know, where, where, where you are, your heart is, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you just as they sing, would you come to the front? People are going to pray with you. We want to talk with you. We want to encourage you. We want to, you know, just uh, ask God to, to bless your life. We're just going to open the altars. And if you need prayer for anything else during this time, you need healing, rededication, whatever, these altars are, are open this morning. Brent, worship team, would you sing? If that's you, would you come this morning? If you raised your hand, would you come this morning? Would you come? Would you come? Thank you, Lord. 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 Would you come this morning? We have some that are going to come pray with you this morning. Would you come? Just find a place and kneel at the altar if you'd like. Would you come this morning? Would you come this morning? Would you come this morning? Make your heart right with God. Make your heart right with God. Make your heart right with God this morning. Some of our prayer team is going to come. They're going to pray with you. This morning, would you come this morning? Would you come this morning?
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're at the altar and across this building, I want you to take a moment this morning, and I just want you to kind of repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I pray that you would forgive my sins. I pray, God, that you would touch my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and that you were raised from the dead. I'm asking you to come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life this morning. Forgive every sin. Give me a new life in you. And Lord, I give you praise this morning. I give you praise this morning. It's that simple. It's that simple. That prayer is that simple. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. People are being brought into the kingdom of God this morning. We praise you today. We praise you today. Sing that again, brother. We praise you today. This is not the season that you play around with your faith, your walk with God. This is a time that you get serious, you know, that you, you, you serve God the best you can. He's not looking for perfection at all. I want to say to the church, this is not a time that we just look into heaven. This is a time to work. The harvest is, is ripe. Workers are few. This is, this is the time for harvest. This is a time for outreach. This is the time for revival and renewal as we've never known it. The Lord's not asking us to do this alone. He said in the last days, I'm going to give you my spirit. You're going to be able to accomplish this. Across the building, would you raise your hands? I'm going to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall upon us. Lord, I pray in this last days, Lord, I pray the wind of the Holy Spirit would blow upon these believers. You said in the last days, you are going to pour out your spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters and old men and old women will dream dreams. And Lord, we pray today for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Fall upon us, Holy Spirit. Let that prophecy of Joel Lord, let it happen in this house, even this morning, Lord. Pour 
your spirit out upon us. Baptize us, Lord, in the Holy Spirit, Lord. Let us feel your power and your presence. Let that language, that river of living water, flow out of our hearts. Baptize people this morning in the Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray for revival. We pray for awakening. We pray for renewal on the brink of your return. Let us be found faithful in the vineyard, Lord, with our hands, Lord, on the harvest. Oh, God, we praise you today. We praise you. Sing that one more time, Brent. Sing it one more time. Oh, God. Oh, God.
Sing it worthy of your name. Thank you, Lord. 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 The Lord's just expressing his heart. He wants to be with you. It's never his will that any would perish and be away from God. He's always giving opportunities, and an opportunity is now. Don't walk away today and take advantage of that opportunity. Thank you, Lord. 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 We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Come and sing.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you this morning. We praise you this morning. Now listen, there's a stirring in this place, all right? But God is not, God's reminding the church, you've got work to do. Rem re know what's going on. Keep an eye on what's going on. Keep reading. Some of you got some homework to do. You need to read some of these passages. I don't want you to believe just what I said. I want you to read it this morning. I want you to read it. We got work to do. We got things to do for the Lord until He comes. I want to have dirty hands. I want to have perspiration when when He comes. Okay. Now, if you're here this morning, and I'm going to be down here at the front. If you've got any questions, I'll be glad in the time that I have to answer those. You can send me an email. You can come up to me and go. That's the dumbest thing that I've ever heard in my life. Okay. You can do that. You can do that. All right? Uh, but I'm going to be down here at the front. I want to talk to you. If you've got any prayer needs, if you came to the Lord this morning, I want you to come see Kelsey. We've got some material that we want to give you. Gospel of John. We've got some, some stuff that we want to give you this morning. I, I want you to make this moment count. Don't let this, don't let this just be a moment of sorrow. Let this be a turn. Let this be a turn. Let this be a pivot this morning. So, amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Hope this message starts you on a great Christmas season. <laughs> Love you guys. God bless you. Thanks for coming this morning online. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.